0: Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably not a big fan of using 3D effects in your data visualizations. Whenever you see that 3D exploding pie chart, everybody makes fun of it. It gets a lot of critique on social media, but there are times when 3D can be useful. And so On today's episode of the podcast, I am excited to have Tyler Morgan Wall as my guest to talk about his use of 3D and animated 3D in his data visualization efforts. Tyler created the ray shader package in R and he uses that package to create what I think are some pretty astounding visualizations. Tyler also has a background in physics. So he brings that background to the development of the package and to his work more generally. So we talk about his work. We talk about his background. We also talk about a run-in he had with Edward Tufty making fun of one of his recent data visualizations. So check out this week's episode of the show. I think you're going to learn a lot. If you're an R programmer, I hope you'll go check out the Ray Shader and the Rayverse packages so you can create your own 3D in useful ways and helpful ways uh, and to help people better understand your data so here is my conversation with tyler morgan wall on this week's episode of the policy viz podcast hey tyler how are you welcome to the policy Viz podcast great thanks for inviting me uh very excited to have you on the show very excited to be doing a nighttime podcast not one of my regular things so i've got my glass of whiskey here for those listening you can hear the ice if you're steve wexler you're mad that I have ice in my whiskey, but I like my whiskey cold. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Tyler, I kind of stumbled upon your work uh, a couple of months ago from this explosion. You had this really cool visualization that Edward Tufte pounced on. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about the negative. I want to talk about your amazing work. And, you know, usually for podcasts, I'll sort of introduce people and then just go to the tape. But I actually feel like you have a really interesting background, so maybe you could talk a little bit about your background, and then because I know you have this sure. this background in physics, and then and then just maybe just segue into the data viz work that you've been doing, um, yep. and how yep. those two sort of merge together because it's a really interesting combination of skills.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, so so yeah, I I got my uh, PhD in physics uh, from Johns Hopkins um, in condensed. Uh, condensed matter, uh, basically superconducting, uh, quantum nano devices. Um, so experimental, you know, a lot of, uh, lab work. I really enjoyed working in the lab, but like many people who work in physics, um, I ended up kind of pivoting to data science work, right. <laughs> um, afterwards, like the, the quote unquote traditional, uh, path, uh, where it's, it's, a, it's a, lot of, uh, kind of, uh, orthogonal, uh, schoolwork to then end up doing data, data science. Right. Um. But uh, in doing that, you know, I I had a lot of uh, sort of analytical training, but I ended up working at at a place in in D.C. called the uh, Institute for Defense Analyses, which we do a lot of uh, work with the government for, uh, you know, data science work and and, and analytical work. And uh, and part of that was I was surrounded by statisticians. Mm -hmm. And when you're surrounded by statisticians, uh, it's inevitable that you end up learning R. Um, (laughs) So. I ended up, uh, so I, I didn't really have a background in using R and I'd used some Python in, in my uh, graduate studies, but uh, I ended up starting to use R. And then I, and from there I started building some packages um, mm-hmm. and then I found out, oh, yeah, this is really great. You know, it's really easy to kind of take a take a package and then produce it so other people can, you know, uh, do, you know, reproducible workflows and, and you make it so other people can you kind know, of use your work a lot easier than like sharing scripts or, you know, Python scripts or stuff like right. that. And then at one point uh, I w- had just come back from the studio conference presenting on a, a kind of dry statistical package that I'd de- been developing with my work. And I just had a, the desire to do something more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always been interested in mapping. Right. And uh, so I decided to try to produce a package that, would create maps in r
0: um Mm -hmm.
1: and that is how i started writing uh the race shader package
0: Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting that like you went to maps right away was there a reason like you you have this this incredible background but it's not in cartography right was it maps just like oh maps are great maps are cool everybody loves maps
1: yeah i mean part of it was just like i i had always really out of out of all the kind of uh areas in data visualization, um, I had personally just always enjoyed uh, you know, a, a good map.
0: Sure, yeah. But like,
1: uh, it really was more just that I wanted to learn more about cartography. And I okay. had a very specific sense of what I think I thought a an interface to make maps would be programmatically. And part of my desire to write Ray shader was I originally looked around for something like what I had in my mind, which is basically mm-hmm. building up uh, maps based on layers that all of the maps aspects really come from the elevation data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of tools like QGIS and a lot of GIS right. software, um, which are, are really you know complex, powerful tools, um, but not really uh, are focused or have the focus on kind of a programmatic interface. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that kind of reproducible workflow. Um, when working yeah. with data viz, I think that's a really important thing to have. And I think it's really good uh, if tools support the reproducible workflow. I think they eventually become sort of higher quality in that you can, um, you don't you're less likely to kind of make mistakes along the way. Sure, uh, it ensures a kind of better end product. And it's also it ends up being I think a lot less work for the practitioner if you have a tool that you can just kind of change you know the data source and you get an identical visualization now but just with a you know completely different area or something like that and there was nothing like really like that for maps uh, Mm. that i found so i was like oh i'm gonna start building something in the second part of ray shader was the i'd never really found a tool that was really focused on making beautiful maps it it was Mm. mostly focused on sort of putting together maps for um I'm not saying you couldn't make beautiful maps in something like QGIS, but the focus is more on the technical cartography yeah, aspect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so there was nothing really out there that was really focused on on that, and I thought, hey, you know, path tracing or ray tracing, I've seen lots of really beautiful stuff made with that. So maybe if I combined sort of cartography with ray tracing, I would get something really cool out of it, and yeah. that was my thinking going into it. Um, and that's kind of where the genesis of the name Rayshader was. It was ray tracing plus hill shading. Right. Um and 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 it ended up being a, a really boon to Rayshader that the, <laughs> the ray shader.com was available. Right. Um, so that's so you're that like
0: was... you're like the Kleenex of the mapping world.
1: Yeah, when, when I first, when I saw the first person use Rayshader to refer to a map that wasn't made with ray shader as like, oh, I'm going to ray shade this. And it was, you know, some other thing, you know, yeah. that, some other program. I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I'm, I'm the Kleenex of, of, uh, of, of ray trace map. Yeah. So that, that was a, yeah, it, it was a really good name. Sometimes you just like hit on a really good name and yeah. you don't really realize it. And, and, and that can, you know, really be a boon, especially early on because right. Right? It, it was one of those things where I think people just kind of knew right away, like, oh, like this makes maps with some form of ray tracing and it and and having a name that kind of tells you what the program does uh is just you know it just really helps i think with from the marketing aspect sure i found is a big part of a successful uh kind of package for data viz
0: yeah so i want to um come back to this idea of building packages it it is interesting to me that you sort of take this approach of i'm going to build a package that people can install and use as opposed to building out a set. It, it sounds like at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you start on the side of packages as opposed to building out sort of a set of scripts publicly at least and then getting to a point where people are like, you know, this would be really great if it was a package and then you build the package. It sounds like you take what I sort of view, and I could be wrong, is the kind of opposite approach or steps to that.
1: Right. Well, th- that, that I think is the great thing about the R ecosystem is that uh, unlike a lot of uh, programming languages really do kind of work, their bread and butter is kind of sharing scripts. Mm -hmm. But R has this packaging mechanism built in where that really is just sharing scripts, but in like a better, more standardized way um, with kind of lots of checks from the CRAN and stuff that makes it uh, much easier for the end user, you know, documentation built in. Um, So, and because I had done this work with my job building packages, I had kind of gotten over that hump of learning how to do that, how to transition from scripts to packages. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I knew how to make a package and I knew it, and it really isn't that much of a jump from writing sure. scripts to doing that. Uh, then it just, it, to me, it's it's the first step is, hey, if I'm going to share this with anyone else, uh, I'm going to make it into a package. Right. Because uh, then it makes it, uh, one, a lot easier to install. Right. Um, two, it gives it an API. People know how to call the, you know, the, the documentation and help files. Um, I, can, I can get this whole, this great environment of like building package down websites for documentation. Mm-hmm. I, 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 because I can run a CRAN check, the checks that the CRAN um, repository they use to kind of ensure the software quality that it runs on multiple systems. I can run that and know that it runs on Macs, Windows, right? Uh, you know, Linux. It just a lot of benefits get from packaging that you don't necessarily get from scripts.
0: If you had your way, if you were the R uh, chancellor or whatever, we would call it the god of R.
1: Benevolent uh, dictator.
0: The, The benevolent dictator of R. Would you have everyone, instead of sharing scripts, would you have them write packages? Or do you think, you know, it sort of works the way it is. You know, some people just share scripts because they don't. I mean, you sort of blew by the fact that like you have all this documentation, you have a help file, and you have all these like things like that's not easy to do. No, um, no. And it takes a lot of work and time and effort. And you're providing that to the community. So like, if you had your druthers, would you say everybody should for every script that they're putting publicly it should be a package? Given, of no. course, that they would have to write all this other stuff?
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I would say I mean, so there's kind of like a certain level of how much do I intend for other people to look at this as kind of learning material?
0: Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And
1: how much do I think of it as a tool? Yeah. Uh, so if, if I look at this as like a tool to create some sort of standardized output, like, you know, Ray Shader produces 3d maps. Right. Um, And, or, or, uh, you know, Ray render renders 3d scenes or, or some, you know, com- it's a level of both complexity and kind of the intention Whereas if I'm just sharing a script to show, let's say how I made an individual database, mm-hmm. uh, like let's say this is how I made this specific map. But I mean, right. that's obviously, you don't need to have a package for that. This is like, here's how I made this specific visualization. That's that's the perfect opportunity for sharing a script. But yeah. if, I, if I mean for it to be a tool for other people to u- use, then yeah, I think I think packages are kind of the best way right. to deliver that to other people. Great. At least in R.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So let's go to these two concepts really of 3D and yep. animation. So 3D, I think, oftentimes gets a raw deal in data yep. viz, but usually appropriately so. And it's sort of that, you know, those Excel 3D cones garbage thing. Right. Um, so I, I just want to give sort of just open it up and like, you know, your thoughts on 3D and your perspective sure. on when it's useful.
1: So I think 3D had kind of suffered from a, a chicken and the egg problem mm. um, because. Early on, you know, computationally wise, we didn't have the computing power, you know, in the early 90s to produce like real 3D visualizations. I mean, 3D wasn't really a thing. So a lot of the tools we developed on early on, like, you know, the Excel and the bad sort of 3D visualizations were really these, you know, kind of like 3D bar charts or 3D pie charts, yeah. like they weren't real 3D in the sense that the data wasn't 3D. It was just window dressing. Right. And I think from years of having only that capability, and, and the sort of like a, a a meme of 3d charts are are bad kind of permeating yeah. data viz was because the tools only supported in early on bad data viz. so from that point tool makers weren't going to put in the effort to support nice data visualizations that are mm-hmm. 3d so if you don't have anyone pushing the the tools then all you have are, are these kind of uh poor 3d data visualizations and I think a lot for, for many years, we were kind of uh, the major tools didn't really support 3D in any real good way. I think in the mid 2000s, what happened was people like individual, very talented people started using tools like uh, 3D modeling tools um, or, and renderers like Blender mm-hmm. to start it, to create like really kind of striking visualizations. Uh, I know uh, one of the first people to do 3D maps, uh, I believe, was uh, Scott Reinhardt of The New York Times. And it produced some really gorgeous maps from that. Uh, but each one is kind of like a, an artisanal. The, the tool is not designed for that. It's yeah, a yeah. renderer. It's designed for people doing CGI, movie making, mm-hmm. uh, 3D modeling. It is not a tool meant for data visualization. It's not like built in to uh, a, a, an ecosystem that supports data very well. Um, so for right. a while, then we had this kind of artisanal period of people being able to build 3D visualizations uh, but using tools that weren't really meant for that and um, I really came in uh, and and really wanted to create some tools that would natively within our support producing these sort of visualizations that you only really saw like advanced 3d rendering uh, software like blender create before um, yeah. with and only a couple lines of code so that that was kind of my my goal originally it was to create maps. And, and actually, so I've originally it just was to create really cool looking 2D maps, but there was a part yeah. where I, I suddenly thought like, Hey, you know, I, this would be really easy to make 3D. So I sat down and, and I, I just made one of these 2D maps that I, you know, made with like ray tracing and, and hill shade and these like color hill shading algorithms and extruded it to 3D from the 2D map. Yeah. And I remember just looking at it being like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like literally I've never seen anything like this before. Like, it, it, and and it, it wasn't that complex at the time. It was yeah. just like, hey, I'm just mapping this th- uh, texture onto this 3D surface. Uh, but I realized that like, hey, this is something I've I've only really seen in kind of like uh, bespoke, you know, hand-drawn uh, right. diagrams from the USGS. It's actually a very common sort of aesthetic, you know, like uh, a lot of geospatial work is kind of these uh, slices through the earth. Right. Um but I, no tools really supported that. So a lot of these things were like handmade in illustrator yeah. right. and illustrator or hand drawn. right And once I sort of created a tool that could you know make these from the data directly, I thought it was really cool. and and then releasing it to the public in a package form, um, a lot of other people started using it uh, and, and started making some some really cool stuff with it as well.
0: Yeah. let me just to give folks a sense, can you give me, a ballpark of how much computing power and how long it took for that first that first one to go from like this 2D map to to building it up in ray shader like you know when you click go when you click run like i think there's probably people listening to this and like well you know my mac can't handle something like this it's building this oh, spinning yeah. globe with all this stuff but i've seen your work and i you know and i'm sure that's not the case so like can you give folks like an idea of what they can expect when they dive into the package
1: Right, so th- there's actually two different packages. So Ray Shader, um, right, right. kind of. So there's actually multiple rendering methods, and that that's been half of the uh, difficulty in doing this. Is there you developing these packages? I actually have to read a lot of, you know, computer graphics literature to to, to figure out how to like write the software. I mean, I'm doing kind of uh, double duty with a lot of this stuff because not only am I trying to, you know, prophesize, you know, um, what why 3D data visualization is good. Yeah, uh, but I also have to write the tools at the same right. time. So, right. So it, it's having to do the technical part of writing the tools and then also create engaging visualizations. Right. Um, right. So like it's it, it's a lot of balancing that back and forth. But uh, I, I would say the actual computing power isn't um, really that high. I think most modern computers yeah. have like uh, enough uh, computing power to support the basic stuff that Ray Shader does, which is creating. Um, the sort of basic three D maps. the The hard part is when you use um, the, so Ray Shader has a function called Render High Quality, and that calls Ray Render, which is a a high quality path tracing renderer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can take a while. Like that, that's one of those things where an individual frame could take you know ten minutes to render uh, okay. because it's using it you know advanced. It's basically simulating how light acts through the scene, so it's actually bouncing around with the equivalent of photons, and then right. drawing the scene from from those. So it, it's a very complicated algorithm. Um, so that can take a while, but the normal 3d plots, you know, are, you can make a 3d plot instantaneously. Um, it's just, if you want these like really slick looking 3d yeah, ones, that super looks like, you bespoke, know, light, yeah, yeah th- then, yeah. Uh, then it can take a while, but c- that's computational work. I, I would say lines of code wise, you know, yeah. we're still only talking like a dozen or two dozen lines right. of code for even the most complicated things. Like I, uh, if you look at my GitHub gist page, so the visualization that went viral and it reached like the number one page or the number one slot at the top of Reddit and that Tufty tweeted about, that was about 40 lines of code and, and it's yeah. not really dense code. You, you, you right. can read through it and, and it really isn't that bad. So computational, I mean, that's something if you really were interested in speeding up, you could always even like rent an AWS server. I've had people yeah. do that. They've actually rented like AWS servers with, you know, thirty-two CPUs or sixty-four CPUs right. and rendered something really quickly. I just, you know, will render something overnight, right. and like with my computer, like that's I just yeah. take like eight hours, be like, okay, this is my this is my allocation, three hundred sixty <laughs> frames, thirty <laughs> frames per second. That means I have you know a minute to spend on per frame approximately. Yeah. So then I just scale the quality of my render down to reach that time frame and and render that. So that that's how I do it.
0: Yeah. So I do want to get to this toughy thing because I think it's it's yeah example of a lot of different things but clearly you building the package is built on your your physics background did you get the point where you're like well the physics here is like not totally perfect so i'm going to spend a lot more time figuring it out or it's good enough but like as a like at your at your core as a physicist you're like ooh, this hurts me to like cut this little corner here like how did you like balance that like
1: yeah, so so th- there's actually, <laughs> um, so the original rendering method that I used, which was just kind of the the out of the box sort of more traditional CGI approach that wasn't yeah. based on path tracing, um, that definitely had some kind of workarounds where you, you kind of hacked to get something looking physically accurate. Right. I, there was one one part where I had uh, the shadow that was cast that was just me basically hacking together like a darker version of the background okay, that, yeah. that underneath, it wasn't a real shadow. There wasn't any actual lights going on. That sort of not looking kind of quote unquote realistic really motivated me to, to yeah. develop the path tracing approach because there you can get the the things where it looks like you have like the actual sun is shining down. Like th- there you could actually see like this is where the sun's position is, the sun's size. Like you could make calculations based, you know, for like solar panel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> coverage based on that. that Right. Um, and the path tracing stuff is actually really it's physically based rendering is what it's referred to as PBR. And what's nice about that is, um, so it's a Monte Carlo method that converges on sort of looking physically realistic. If given you, you take a number of samples a Monte Carlo method. So you yeah. have to take a high number of samples, but eventually it all integrates out to looking like it's a photograph. Huh. Um, and, and the nice thing about that from debugging, actually, from a programmer point of view, is if I render something and I'm like, hey, that doesn't look right. I can right. be like, oh, it's because I got there's a bug somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it's actually easy to debug because I'll just like take a picture of something and see like, hey, oh. that shadow looks wrong. And right. then I'll actually go in and be like, oh, it's because you know, I got some sine or cosine wrong right. and it's in the wrong you know angle. And a lot of my early debugging was like, hey, this doesn't look right. And they'd be like, oh, it doesn't look right because it's not right. Yeah. Um, and, but now it's actually my, my physicist, the physicist part of me is, is, uh, uh very satisfied okay. because physically based rendering really does produce results that are pretty close to reality. And right. there's lots of, you know, complex integrals related to radiance. And yeah. a lot of the techniques actually came from like nuclear physics. And you can actually read the the physics back papers, which that's part of a physics background is, yeah. you know, interpreting all this. So I'll go back and read, read these papers to figure out where it's all coming from and be like, Oh, okay. I, you know. This all right. makes sense. Um, <laughs> and I know in, as a physicist, I mean, really, like, I, I know e- economists also kind of have this stereotype where you look yeah. at somebody else's field and you go like, oh, I, I can do that. Right. Like, I I, I, I can understand this. Yeah. And, and this is, I'm lucky in this sense in, in that because it's physically based rendering. I right. can actually read these CGI papers and go like, oh, this is physics. So right. I, I, I got you. Even yeah. though it's completely different genesis for the but I field. Can still,
0: yeah. we can still talk yeah
1: yeah exactly so yeah yeah, no i I, i'm but that itch is well scratched by this rendering stuff
0: that's great that's awesome um okay so let's turn with turn to tufty so i'm gonna just read a little bit from my notes here so people know what we're talking about so in september uh you created this really cool animated map uh it showed submarine fiber optic cable network around the world and so is this uh just to sort of Paint the picture for people. It was this spinning globe and it had basically lines around it. If, you know, hopefully folks sort of get the idea there. And then Tufty uh, put out this tweet and I'm going to read this tweet for you. And then we don't have to spend a ton of time bashing him, although I'm happy to to do that if we want to spend some time. But um, so this was this was Tufty's tweet. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can go look at it. So Tufty tweets out discovery of backwards Earth rotation. He puts a little arrow. Nobel prize diameter of each optic cable apparently about 100 miles exclamation point uh on land drop shadow cable stacks reach far out in outer space displays of space junk have same problem perhaps thinner lines reduce the massive exaggeration so yeah i mean <laughs> i i guess i guess i'll just like i'll just put that out there and and you know like what was I guess first question is like, what was your reaction when you saw him like retweet that?
1: So, so my first reaction was I've made it tough (laughs) has criticized my tweet. Like, like, you know, from that point to get, it really was like, I looked at it. I, I I just scanned what he wrote. Um, and I, and when I scanned it, I didn't see what I was afraid of. Yeah. The only thing that I was afraid of was he would tweet something about disparaging 3d visualization in particular. Because then that that just kind of there's a lot of people who you know follow Tufty who think 3D is bad, and I just didn't want to have to fight the battle of be like, oh god, no, I have to like somehow debate Tufty, and you know, or at least you know people who follow him like that. 3D is fine. The fact I read that and I did not see anything that was related to 3D in particular, so I I breathed a sigh of relief. I was like, okay, he's having some kind of snark about that. Whatever. Oh, thank God. And then and then I kind of read it over a couple of times and I was like, OK, yeah, a lot of people say like uh, I, I had some other data visualizations that had gone yeah. viral earlier on where, where the, the Earth was rotating the wrong way. The wrong way. Where, yeah. Where, where, you know, apparently, you know, you're, you're not allowed to spin a globe in two different ways. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're, you're contractually obligated always to spin <laughs> a globe away, right? uh, th- one way and not the other. Right. Um, I, I never considered this to be a, a physically accurate representation of Earth's <laughs> orbit around the sun. Uh, you might also notice I had no clouds. You know, right. I, I, That's I, right. I didn't render That's the right. star no background. Right. I, I right. didn't know, I didn't I didn't render the moon going in and out. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I that, that wasn't yeah. physically accurate.
0: I'm sure NASA it. I'm sure NASA is super pissed about the light. Yeah, I don't think yeah. anyone
1: was looking at this visualization right. going like, you know, I, I could really understand this submarine cable map thing, but what planet is this on? <laughs> Obviously not earth because it's rotating the wrong direction. Wrong way. Like I'm very yeah. confused. Yeah. And a lot of people posting like, Hey, this might confuse some people because the earth's rotating the wrong way. I'm just like, Who's good? what are they confused about? Like <laughs> yeah, right. a- anyway, that's, that's besides the point. But then yeah. I, the, I, I looked at it. So I, he, he mentioned the, the thickness of the cable, which I, I thought was a little confusing. So these actual submarine cables are about a, a garden hose thick. Which mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever tried to see a garden hose from space,
0: space, but it's yeah.
1: very difficult. I, I'm sure, <laughs> I, I'm sure the, uh, uh, I'm sure people would would love to have a you know uh, a, a telescope or in space of that resolution. But the geospatial work mapping is full of abstractions. You yeah. know, th- that's a data We have lots of abstractions. It just more confused me that yeah. he would focus on that because I'm like, what is, is this? To me, it was like I, I had a hard time figuring out if this was like you know a, a, a funny snark thing, because right. I don't, you know, I don't know That right. I, I don't know. He might have just seen this as like, I'm, I'm being funny, but, but he, the fact that he used the word drop shadow, I'm like, oh, he's kind of interpreting this from a 2D perspective. Yeah. Because this isn't drop shadow. This is path tracing. That's like, that's actual shadow. Right. Yeah, it's just shadow. Right. So right. for me, I could see him kind of interpreting it from like the 2D perspective. Yeah. Um, the fact that he used that, the fact that, that we have these kind of, uh, you know, abstractions that we use in, in GIS that might not represent the same you know, right. the actual size of things. I mean, people don't complain about, you know, the U.S. interstate system. You know, if it maps of that, you know, the roads being the exact same size. It's it's a reality that the Earth is huge. And right. humans are very small. And human scale things are yeah. very small. So, yeah, obviously we have to exaggerate uh, uh, stuff. But I, I would say actually the, the big thing that came from Tufty's tweet, the, the thing I enjoyed the most was really... Like the the great outpouring from the community of people said like, hey, what are you doing? Like, yeah, like at the yeah. time, I had like I don't know nine thousand followers, and and uh, maybe Tufty looked at that and be like, hey, this guy's like one tenth of a Tufty because he had you know right. hundred thousand followers. Like, that yeah. makes him a fair game. I don't. Care. But I think a lot of people saw it as like a you know punching down. But from there, like uh, so many people came out, and and I was you know working at the time, so I was like, okay, by the end of the day, maybe I'll respond. But right. within like two hours, anything that I could have said. The community had said, "All like you know, all, all people had come out and been like, you know, this this tone isn't great. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like this is a great visualization. But lots of people shared it with, like saying, like, wow, this is like I ne- I didn't never known. Yeah, this is what you know had ran the internet, right? Um, which I think is a sign of a good visualization. People have been like, oh my god, like I had never known this, and now I realize that you know this is the infrastructure that the the earth runs on for the for the internet. It just yeah, I, I didn't really have any negative responses other than people saying." you know, kind of looking the sort of same criticisms Tuffy was being like, I think some people might misunderstand this based on some other things. And I I don't think anyone really did.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I mean, it's interesting, right? Because if your goal with that visualization is, I don't know what the companies are, but to lay, if you're working for a fiber optic cable network and seeking to lay new line, then that's not the visualization you want to use for that particular job. Yeah. But no. if you just want to get this sense of what the world looks like in this sort of hidden layer that we all just kind of take for granted, that visualization, and I hate to say tells a story because I, you know, yeah. have a problem with that phrase, it's a different story, a different whole of conversation. But yeah, it yeah. does tell that story pretty quickly and 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 intuitively.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I think that's why it kind of hit such a nerve.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: like the fact that a data visualization, I mean, I've had some things go viral on Reddit before, you know, some things will reach like the very bottom of the front page because data visualizations, I mean, I don't think most people yeah. think about them too much on but hitting like the top spot, like opening yeah. up the Reddit app and like seeing it so like, right at the top, like that's the front page. That's above the fold, whatever, whatever the modern version, <laughs> above the scroll or whatever right that above is. The scroll, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to see that in like the kind of top spot i'm like oh, this has really like like touched a nerve of people yeah. being like oh wow that, that this has made me like understand my world a bit better
0: right so right.
1: like that to me is like the the end goal of, of a good data visualization is to get somebody to understand some data a, a bit better and, and and to really like learn something um and there's kind of like these technical i, I think a lot of data visualization gets uh, criticisms often get caught up in kind of the technical considerations Mm -hmm. of, you know, what, what is the best way, you know, a lot of mapping is like projections. And I I think in a lot of cases, I would say the negative kind of technical considerations often, I I think don't come into play if you're tailing, like a, if you have a really engaging data set, which I think is what the submarine cable map really was. I -hmm. mean, this, this data had been freely available and had been visualized in kind of a flat earth before. I mean, you, you could see it. There are multiple websites that showed this data, but I think kind of showing it in the sense of more of a kind of realistic view of what the Earth looked like in the, this 3D view kind of made it um, a little more grounded. It wasn't just lines on the planet. Yeah. It was showing how we were all connected through yeah. this web. Like, it, it, I think a lot of in a lot of cases, kind of these network visualizations, the abstraction of the lines yeah. over the Earth, the fact that with many maps, the lines represented by the, the countries and the the coastlines you have to sort of be able to separate them to the reader. So moving it to 3d, I was able to actually physically do that. The the lines floated above the earth. So then you're able to see that. And, and and it was uh, sort of using this technical trick of 3d to kind of get beyond that sort of like, Oh, what's the data here and what, what's the point of the visualization. Yeah. Um, I don't know why this one kind of struck a nerve as much, but I, I think just generally 3d, can create these really engaging plots because yeah. it can create like really beautiful visualizations. Um, and I think that can really kind of enhance sort of these, even data that not necessarily needs the 3d to like represent it. Um, you, Cause yeah, you could just plot this on a 2d map and it would represent the exact same thing. But right. seeing it in this 3d uh, view, I think just really, you know, made it uh, that level of engaging that people could like, but actually see it and sort of, uh, be like, oh, this is my 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 Earth, my planet. I don't know why things go viral.
0: <laughs> no, but, uh, I, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's impossible to know. But I, I think you've touched on a few of it. I mean, I think, I mean, I'll just give you like my two cents. Like for me, I think why it struck a nerve. I mean, in the data viz community, it struck a nerve because of the Tufty thing. But I think yeah. more generally, it struck a nerve. I think your choice of colors was uh, something that made it pop. So you know, they were very vibrant. Uh, almost uh, fluorescent colors. So I think those popped. But I think your point about there is something about the animation of the globe spinning that in some ways it creates this reveal of this underlying network that we see across the whole world. And if you see it on a 2D static map, essentially, it's essentially lines across this thing. But there's something about that animation as it spins, you're like, oh, I can track this This bright green line from New York to Berlin to Moscow. And I can see that. And it's, I have to sort of wait for that to happen. and sort of reveals yeah. itself. And I well, I think that's part of it.
1: I, yeah. And that actually brings a, to the next point. I kind of wanted to talk about 3D was, um, so 2D visual, data viz, I think has a lot in common with, has a lot of crossover with illustration. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, a, a lot of aspects of, you know, art, you know, color theory and, and that you, you need to use when you're doing data viz um, in, in 2D. Um, and I think a lot of illustrators are, are often like very good at viz when they data viz when they get into it. Um, I, I know, we, uh, like Ali Torman, I, I think uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, she, she's a very good illustrator and she makes very good data vi- visualizations. Um, but I think three D is interesting because it actually has a lot in common with cinematography. You need to actually use a lot of techniques that cinematographers use. Yeah. Um, in that, you, you, like the, the the slow reveal um, in this uh, ray render, you actually have to. Worry about where your fo- like depth of field, where you're focused. You have right. to worry about lighting. You have to do light design, it, it, and it's actually a lot more related to how you film something and reveal something in in an actual uh, uh, like movie or or you know TV show yeah. than than just the kind of flat, static na- nature. Now you also have interactivity. So a lot yeah. of th- those are the kind of the two choices you have in three D, whether you want to make it like a like a you know fly through you know, video game style experience where you're, you're flying through the space and revealing it that way, um, or you can do this animation approach. I, I think interactivity is a bit harder be, for technical considerations, um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, uh, one, you have to deliver th- big 3D models to people, and that can be hard from a, you know, just pure, um, you know, web uh, bandwidth point of view. But also, it's just hard because a lot of people don't really work in 3D space that well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm part of the Nintendo 64 generation, so I, so I know how to, you know, go back and, you know, side to side, up and down. Um, But I think a lot of people, and and even, even a lot of people, you know, my age don't really do well in, in, in 3d because it's, it's, you know, it's hard. You, you, you have lots of degrees of freedom. Um, so interactivity is, is good in some senses in 3d, but it's actually much harder to implement correctly. Yeah. Uh, but movies, I mean, one it's easy to share a movie on social media. Yeah. Um, you know, you can embed in uh, a movie on Twitter. Um, all major social media sites uh, support embedding videos, which is why I think animation is really my preferred method of sharing 3D visualizations. Um, and two, then it allows you, the the creator, um, to, uh, sorry about this, tell a story um, <laughs> rather yeah. than kind of, kind of, uh, you no. know, having the person walk through what kind of story that you think you'd want them to tell. It's much harder than 3D because you, you just have a lot more things, places they can go. Right. I, one of my uh, visualizations that I made this past year was I actually made a um, VR roller coaster ride. It's sort of a, a demo proof of concept of, of the technology, but where um, you would uh, you'd have a 3D data set and you could actually, um, you're taking kind of on like a monorail tour mm-hmm. uh, through your data. And th- that kind of bridged the gap in that it was actually just a movie. Um, yeah. so for me, I was able to render all the frames, but it was a movie rendered with a 360 view. So if you had VR goggles, you could put them on
0: look and around. then
1: kind of look around as you were traveling through the scene. Right. Um, which kind of splits the difference. I, I really like that. If you look at a lot of three D tours through data that like the New York Times have done, it's they've kind of combined scrolly telling yeah. with this sort of three D tour where as you scroll the camera travels it through moves, the space. Right. Um and kind of I, I think this uh, element of interactivity with the VR aspect is, is kind of splitting the difference. And that, that's kind of as far as I would probably go with it, um, just because, you know, it's like a movie that, you know, where they can look around. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I, I like uh, movies just because it really, um, the technology is much well supported. It's a lot easier from for me to put together. And, and uh, it's really uh, a lot better for, I think, the end user, at least for now.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. So I'm now eagerly anticipating your next uh, VR R package in 2022, and I'll have to go buy whatever the metaverse decides to put out and let me uh, yeah. let me purchase. Yeah, <laughs> Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Um yep, really interesting me. stuff. Um, and I'm glad you were able to brush off the the Tufty criticism because. Hey. That can be a tough yeah, that can be a tough pill to swallow uh when someone like that does that. But I'm um, I'm glad to see this work. I'm glad to see people using it. I've seen it more and more now, um, which may be just me sort of having my eyes open a little bit. But uh it's really great work, congratulations. And uh, and yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. And thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I've put the links to everything that Tyler and I talked about in the show notes so you can check out the R packages he created. You can check out the tweet from Tufty and the various responses to that. And just more generally, you can go play around with some 3D. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people helped bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsky Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Biz Podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash